0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Tech Slab. This is the Tech Slab podcast. David Krawl here with the one and only newest member of the Vintage Grace team, Kyle Unquist. Kyle, good to be back on the pod with you. Yes, good to be here. We are back at the text lab where every single week we do a deep dive into the text our goal is simple to help you unpack the text in order to grow as a disciple who makes disciples so whether you are leading a group doing some just deep dive meaningful study on your own our hope is that this really helps you reflect and study what God has said to us in his word we uh, have a big chunk of scripture that we're diving into today. So, we're gonna just get right into the meat of this. This weekend, we are in Genesis chapter 47. All the way through uh, chapter 50. This is the last week of the Joseph series. Been a great series unpacking the life of Joseph, looking at a lot of Genesis and Old Testament themes and narrative that is there, really looking at how God is with us in lots of different places in our lives, doing his redemptive work, his story. Um, and so we're not going to read it the, right now because of the length of the text, but We're diving in, start picking up at chapter 47 as we really kind of see through the rest of Joseph's life, um, what happens in his life, but then also what is going on in the wider Genesis story. So Kyle, as we get going into chapter 47, what's a little bit of just kind of what's going on with Joseph's family, the family of Israel, and just catch us up to speed a little bit of what's the narrative and context there.
1: Yeah, so we were just talking about this, but I think one of the dangers is, End of chapter 46, we see this moment of restoration and reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And there's, at least in my own heart, it's easy to treat this section like sometimes we treat the genealogies. Like It feels like the story kind of wrapped up. The stuff feels a little bit like throwaway, but it's not. There's so much good stuff here. So, yeah, let's dive into it. So, the end of chapter 46, Joseph reconciles with his brothers, um, and his dad uh, finds out that Joseph is alive. And so, in 47, we see Joseph's family... Moves with him to Egypt. Um, this is a big deal because they're they're uh, they're still not in their own land, like God has promised Abraham. But what we do see is again we see this glimpse of Eden. So if you look at verse 27 of chapter 47, it says, "Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen." That's the specific territory Joseph and his family are going to stay. And it says they gained possessions in it, so they're being blessed by God and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So that language, fruitful and multiply, should direct our attention back to Genesis. God originally calls humans to be fruitful, to multiply, to rule over the land. And then there's this idea that they're gaining possessions and being blessed. That's God's covenant with Abraham. And so um, going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, God created Eden as a place for humans to live in relationship with him. Obviously, Sim breaks that. Um, And then the story picks up. In Genesis 12, where God promises Abraham, I'm going to bless you to bless all the families of the earth, God is seeking to recreate Eden. And we're seeing a little glimpse
0: of it in this chapter right here. Dude, I love that. And I think that's something for us to kind of just like pause on as we're walking through these chapters um, in the text here. and Thinking even about that, as just kind of like a big idea theme in Genesis and really through all of scripture about how all of this is a return to Eden. God is reestablishing Eden and renewing the earth, redeeming hearts, redeeming souls, doing kind of this big redemptive work to really bring us back to Eden um, that ultimately will be fulfilled in a new city with a garden in that city and with a new tree of life. And so you're not necessarily trying to go backwards, but you are looking from where you've come from in the garden of Eden And even just for that, as a context for reading all of scripture, where God has created Eden to be a place of blessing, sin has turned the world into a place of brokenness, but God is working to recreate Eden as this community and communal space where we encounter God. God lives with his people. Like I just think that's suddenly a really helpful paradigm for understanding scripture when suddenly you've got that in your mind as you're reading scripture. Like a lot of times when you dive into these Old Testament narratives, you're like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Why are these people doing this? Why is this happening? Why is this in the Bible? Like, wouldn't it be helpful if God just gave us like a little bit more of like a systematic theology book? Wouldn't it be helpful for like, God gave us kind of a like, you know, 10 ways to follow Jesus today, but it's like, no, there's this narrative that's being unpacked. That's bringing us back to the garden of Eden. That's leading us to a new place. And just having that in your mind, as you read a lot of these narratives, I think can be really understandable and yeah. really helpful
1: yeah that's good so that makes me think we need to be asking ourselves what story am i living in mm. and the story we want to be part of is god's story to recreate and replant an eden kind of community yeah and we can we get we get to participate in doing that now we're supposed to be people who bring blessing mm. to those around us and again we, we talked about this last week but this could look like all sorts of things it could like opening your home and being hospitable yeah. people or being generous and giving your money away or lending your ears to someone who's having a hard day, or of course sharing the gospel with somebody right. and introducing them to Jesus. But that's, that's the story we're supposed to be a part of. And the Bible is continuously trying to remind us of that. That's why it is so important that we hear so many stories in the Bible and not mm. just lectures. Um, and I know in my own life, it's easy to get caught up in a different story yeah. where life is about whatever, being happy, being comfortable, being successful. But that's that's not the story. God, God is not interested right. in that story, like making Kyle a successful person. He's yeah. interested in helping me be an agent and conduit of blessing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that because that puts a completely different perspective and lens for your whole life and what it even means to follow Jesus to understand that. To follow Jesus means to live as somebody that is reestablishing the Garden of Eden, that Garden of Eden, living in God's redemptive work, living in the abundant life, the kingdom that God is inviting us into. You and I have talked a lot about like um, the limitations of Christian moralism, the limitations of behavior modification, that following Jesus isn't suddenly about just becoming this place where you have these rules that you follow, that you check this box. That has these limitations because suddenly it is about just behavior modification of your life. But suddenly, if the invitation is to live in the Garden of Eden, and what does that look like in present day, 21st century America, El Dorado Hills, Camera Park, Folsom, California, like living as as an agent of the kingdom, as a reestablisher of the Garden of Eden? Well, the outflow of that will be all these good and beautiful things but you're not just kind of behavior modification in that way. There's actually can be these little explosions of Eden that happen in our lives where you're living in this redemptive story that is incredible. That is so much bigger than you. That goes back thousands of years, all the way back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12.
1: Yeah, that's so good. All right, I'm sure we could talk more about that, but we'll keep moving because we got a few chapters. So, chapter 48, we see this really interesting story. We won't land here too long, but we see something really interesting where um, Jacob is getting old. He's going to pass away and he wants to bless Joseph's son. So Joseph has two sons, um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And there's this really sort of odd story that takes place where he crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on the younger son instead of on the older son. And it just feels really weird to us as modern day readers, but What's happening is normally the older son receives the greater blessing. Put your right hand on that that child. But J- Jacob reverses this, and I'll just highlight this. This is something people can go chew on later. But all throughout the story up to this point, we've actually seen this happen where the younger son is the one who is blessed and is the one who carries this covenant blessing, um, not the older. So it actually goes all the way back. Um, it's Abel, not Cain. Uh, Ishmael is the older brother, but Isaac is the one who carries the blessing. Um, Esau is the older brother, but Jacob is the one who receives it, even though he deceptively works to do that. We're going to see in a moment that Judah is the one who the promise is going to pass through, and eventually Jesus will come from Judah's line, but Judah is not the oldest, Reuben is, and here we see Ephraim instead of Manasseh. So I think that's worth somebody just pausing to chew on and reflect on. Um, I'll uh, quote a guy named Tim Mackey, who is a Bible project uh He works for the Bible Project. Love him. And he talks about the Bible as a meditative text. You have to read it and reread it and chew on it, especially when you get these stories because nobody's telling you what you're supposed to learn from this story.
0: You have to just sit with it. Um, Personally, as the youngest child, I appreciate this theme (laughs) in the book of Genesis that's talking about that blessing that's coming from there. Do you think there, besides that part that God loves the youngest child, do you think there's... (laughs) Do you think there's a um, theological piece to glean from that? Or is that something that is a long walk with an iced coffee just to meditate on and reflect on of like, maybe this is also just God and his divine wisdom and in the narrative that is unfolding that way. Do you think there's something there to continue to unpack?
1: Yeah. So I think we could actually jump to the next chapter and you you see it again. So in chapter uh, 49, Jacob is... He's blessing his sons, but he's sort of prophesying over them at the same time. Mm. Some of them, it's not awesome. Um, Like Reuben is called unstable as water and says, you shall not Mm. be preeminent. Mm. So for some of these sons, that must have been interesting to hear their father say that. But again, what you see is, um, and this is really astounding to me, that Judah is the one who is told that... the. Jacob says the scepter shall not depart from Judah
0: mm.
1: nor the ruler's in, staff from between his feet. So he's saying Judah is the one who the kings are going to flow from. And, and in chapter
0: 49.
1: Yep, chapter 49. And eventually, obviously Jesus comes from Judah's line. Yeah. So I think this is a, it, it's really astounding. If you're reading the story, it seems obvious that Joseph should be the one that the blessing goes through. Mm. Joseph is this man who has suffered. He's an archetype of Christ. He looks like Jesus in a lot of ways. He's been faithful. And yet God chooses Judah as the one who the Messiah will come from one day. And so I think there is a principle there, something, um, yeah, I, I think we're learning that God loves to do redemptive work in people's lives. He's not just looking for polished people.
0: Mm. He
1: wants to take broken people and take them on a redemptive journey a journey of restoration. And we th- we see that with Judah. At the beginning of the story, he's selling his brother as a yeah. slave. By the end of the story, he's willing to sacrifice his life for his brother, Benjamin. So he's grown mm. and he's changed. Mm. Um, and I think that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to bring blessing to the world, but it's gonna look different than we probably think it should. And he's very quick and eager to find broken people, take them on this long, sometimes really hard journey yeah. Yeah. Where they're growing and and then use them, and I mean, I think I always think of Paul, so yeah. when God is looking for a pioneer missionary in the early days of the church, he doesn't even pick a Christian, he picks the guy <laughs> who's killing Christians
0: mm. Mm.
1: and it's just yeah it's astounding, and it, it's just it's it's teaching us something about God's character yeah and his love of redemption,, yeah. and that our not just our words but our actual lives um depict yeah his. His goodness, his
0: grace, his mercy. Yeah. So this is mind-boggling here because you're reading this Joseph narrative. You would think that the next lines of the narrative would be, and the line of Joseph continued on to the, the blessing. The blessing continued through them to the line of Jesus. And that's just not what happens. Yeah. Judah, if you go read Genesis 38, all of his sin and human depravity and brokenness on display with Tamar and even in his deception and killing, uh, selling of Joseph initially into slavery. Um, but there's this redemption story that happens through Judah. You actually just see this continually on in the old Testament leading up to Jesus' birth in Christ's lineage, you have David who was a very messed up, broken individual, committed murder, committed adultery. The line flows through him, continuing on to Rahab, a prostitute of Jericho. Uh, the line then actually flowed through Bathsheba as well, through that adulterous relationship. God is doing something redemptive there. Um, he is doing something that actually demonstrates his character and nature to make all things new to renew and redeem human depravity and do new things I- even in their own hearts and lives. And so while the promise is being furthered along in this redemptive narrative, it is pointing us ultimately to the Redeemer who yeah. does the redemption at the same time. And it, I, I just think even just on a real practical note, like this is why sitting deeply in the narratives of Scripture, sitting deeply in Scripture as a meditative text reflective texts is that these are some things that you only get to once you start to kind of put some of the different pieces together and there's one thing to read a redemptive text that's beautiful and good that talks about christ as a as a redeemer and thinking of like a luke 15 and the shepherd that leaves the 99 and pursues the one but this demonstrates how the shepherd leaves the 99 and pursues the one when suddenly the redemption of all of mankind is flowing through the line of judah um and a redemptive story is being played out right there.
1: Yeah. I take a lot of comfort in this. And I you know, I think we're supposed to read ourselves into the text. We mm-hmm. should we should identify with people. And yeah. um, you know, you and I haven't done the exact same things as Judah, but we are also broken people. Yes. And there's something profoundly comforting yeah. in two ways. One, that God is willing to use us, yeah, even though we're broken, and two it's just, I, I think it's just right, right in the, you know, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we're learning right away that nothing is going to stop God from recreating the earth and bringing mm. this blessing because it's not ultimately dependent on people being good enough.
0: Mm.
1: Because this family is really messed up. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just think for, for, for all of us, we can take comfort that God, one, he will use us. Yeah. And, yep. you know, sometimes we feel like I don't, I'm not spiritual enough. I don't raise my hand in worship yes. like everybody yeah. else. I, I'm not as bold or whatever, yeah. but God, God can and will use mm. us. But, but ultimately it's just, it's about his power, yes. not yes. our goodness.
0: Rick Dunn and Teresa, who mentor couple for staff and here at VG talked about how God is interested in a redemptive story in our lives, not a success story in our lives. And there's two differences between those things. One of those leaves me very desperate, and independent for Jesus. One of those uh, is very self-reliant and understanding God is continually bringing about our redemption story and how is he moving and working in those ways, which carries us up to chapter 50, uh, where we kind of wrap up the Joseph narrative. What, and Joseph maybe was the initiator of Twitter here in Genesis. Yeah, he's Genesis. got a nice, a nice
1: short, <laughs> I don't know how many characters Twitter is anymore. Although right, they, that's true. I just read it. They changed the name to
0: X. Yeah. Yeah, so, good luck with that. Good luck with that, Elon Musk. <laughs> but this is not a yeah. show about Twitter or social media. But in Genesis fifty twenty, you hear Joseph kind of summarize how, what's going on there yeah. Kyle, as we so, get to chapter fifty.
1: So, just again to highlight that this family—they are messy. Uh, Jacob dies. Joseph's brothers get worried that Joseph is going to seek revenge, mm-hmm. so they turn back to deception. They just send this fake message and they're basically send a messenger and say, "Hey." Dad told you to be nice to
0: us, even though he's dead. Another theme of deception yep. that has been yes. going on the whole book of Genesis.
1: Yes, um, and it says Joseph Joseph weeps when he hears that. Mm. Uh, I I think because he knows yeah. that they're they're being deceptive, and he he actually genuinely loves them now. But he has this incredible response that encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about: a redemptive story, God's sovereignty. But again, they, these are the kind of I'm going to read this, but I would just encourage everybody to listen kind of afresh. I think it's easy. We just hear these lines so often they just kind of go in one out, in one ear, out the other. This is really astounding what he says. He says to his brothers who once sold him into slavery. He says, do not fear for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive As they are today, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Mm. So we just we we uh, man, we could spend a lot of time talking about this, but um, Joseph is highlighting God's sovereignty and and talking about this this redemptive story that people have done genuinely evil things against Joseph, Mm. and I don't think he's saying like what you did really wasn't bad. He's Mm. saying. It was evil. Like you meant to hurt me. You did wrong things. And yet God used it to bring about good so that I could be here and, and save all these different, pl- these different people. It's a really incredible outlook to, to, for, for Joseph to be able to say that. I don't know if like I could go through that. I would mm-hmm. want to, but yeah. I don't know if I could go through my, I'm thinking of my siblings who I love. If they had mm-hmm. sold me as in as a slave when I was 15, that I'd yeah. see them later and be like, hey, Love right. you guys, provide right. for you guys, forgive you guys. Yeah. I see how how God
0: was using Saul. It's really amazing. Well, and it's amazing to see that work in Joseph for his ongoing spiritual transformation in his life, too, of like this is at a much later point of his life. He's been in prison. He's been in a palace. He's been through a lot of different things with Pharaoh, and it's like you just wonder what even that work of God in his own life has, that that has had to happen to bring him to this point, too ultimately trust deeply in God's sovereignty. And when we're talking about joy in the midst of pain, when we're talking about joy in the midst of the trials, like this is kind of what I think we're talking about. Not that it's easy in any sense, but that through all of that, you see God's providence at work in his life through the hardships, the betrayals, the setbacks that he faced. Ultimately, God was still working it for good. And, And, and it seems like Joseph's referencing even some of Judah's redemptive arc there. Like God was doing something through all of this Mm. and then there were these really practical things that came about that ultimately saving his family from the famine that will ultimately set us up to exodus one and the narrative that will continue for the people of god being established in their exodus out of egypt and into the land and and the journey and that continues from there but joseph just really recognizes here god's hand in his journey acknowledges god's intentions his purposes truly God's faithfulness to the promise that he made back to Abraham in Genesis 12. Um, And in this beautiful tweet recognizes that, um, which is something for us to, I think to continually hold on to. And we see all sorts of connections here with,
1: with Jesus, as we think about Joseph kind of being this little shadow figure who uh, is like a, a little picture of Christ where on the cross humans are doing the most evil things humans have ever done. And, Killing God, mm. and yet, it is the moment of salvation, and God uses mm. that and planned for that and intended for that to be um, the greatest moment yeah. in human history. And so, um, I, I think maybe it's something for everybody to reflect on, for me to reflect on, is just really wrestling through the question: Do I really trust that God can bring good out of evil and suffering? Yeah. And we're not—that yeah. doesn't mean we have to say, "I'm glad this terrible thing happened." Yep. but can we genuinely trust that this terrible thing has happened and yet I trust that God will not waste it and he will bring good out of it because that's what's taught later explicitly in something like Romans eight twenty eight. but we're seeing it here already right in the beginning of the Bible that God is taking this these horrible things that have happened and he's bringing about great good which will take us right back
0: into Romans next week as we wow, pick back that, up was Romans a that was a good that was a great full circle so hey Thank you for joining us on The Text Lab, whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house, or that one person that I hope is listening to this as they mow their lawn. We hope that whatever you do as you listen to podcasts, you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to dive deeper into the text this week.
1: I would just like to hear from the person who is mowing the lawn. So if that's you this week, can you please find us? Because it's like 104 degrees out. It's true. So that's impressive. Uh, As always, we encourage you guys to do your own prep um, as you guys are leading life groups or just participate in life group and and let the spirit lead you as you're there.
0: We love you all. We'll catch you next time on the text.